Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast. It is Thursday, April 20th, 2023. Right now at TigerIllustrated.com, we are in the thick of one of the all-time great stories we've told, actually told by Nick Eason, his own story in his own words, and it really falls closely in line with similar stories from Brent Venables in 2019, Dabo Sweeney way back in 2008. This series is going to continue into the weekend, so if you aren't a subscriber to TigerIllustrated.com, you got to do it right now. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Okay, to our interview with Richard Yergen. This is his third appearance on the podcast. First time back in 2018 when he was preparing to go to Boston College. Second time May of 2019. And now... The man is ready to unveil a book that is about to come out. Great catching up with Richard here. Here we go. All right. Joined by Richard Yergin, who apparently is in Pendleton pushing a stroller somewhere near Dyer's Restaurant. (laughs) Thank you, Larry. Thank you. Yes, sir, I am. Um, You know, interesting enough, when you have little ones, you have to make adjustments, right? It's not always about you. Sometimes you have to share that and make it about them. So, you know, I uh, I said, hey, let me let me go ahead and get up and start moving. Give me, I'm sorry, you mean one second? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. Can we can we can we can we restart that of over? <laughs> my my wife was calling me asking me for a code to our to our card. I'm like, babe, I'm in the middle of recording a a podcast right now. But when your wife calls again. I literally, what did I literally just say? Not about me. It's about making the adjustments and realizing, hey, my wife needs me right now. It's more important than if the president of the United States called me and my daughter <laughs> needs me right now. So, again, the mechanic to the rescue. <laughs> it sounds like this is quite the, the juggling act, uh, and I'm, I'm quite familiar with it with uh, two kids of my own. Yeah. Yes, yes. And when you have a career 
that says, Hey, I could be available at certain times <laughs> and like, and like availability, <laughs> your availability, once it's out there, it's all the way out there. <laughs> so, so I completely, I completely get it. Yes, sir. Kind of a, uh, a variation of a Devo Sweeney line comes to mind. I, he, he says it in, 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 uh, in regards to injuries, but he says, in regards to his players, the best ability is availability. So I guess that also applies to <laughs> applies hey, to Larry, hey, you know I know that one too. I know that one very well. Absolutely. My, my availability, my availability wasn't there. <laughs> I understand. I understand. I understand. True on multiple levels. On um, multiple levels. Multiple levels. All right. So tell me about your kids. And are you living in Pendleton? Yes, sir. So I have my son. Elijah, who's four years old, who we had right after the first natty that you knew. Um, you know, I talked to you about him. But now we have an additional plus one added, who's almost about 18 months now. Madison, she's, she's, uh, she's the star of the show. You know, she's sharing she's the spotlight with her brother. Wow, what an adventure. Yes, sir. Um, yes, sir. I remember those days. Uh, I can't, well... I'm going to sound heartless, but I can't say that I miss them. (laughs) I'll say this, and you'll you'll probably understand this later on. I now realize why why it's so exciting. The thought of becoming a grandparent is so exciting. Um, Because now I'm starting to think of, man, I I would really enjoy my, uh, you know, early childhood more than I did. And really it's, I think it's a a lot of it is because you're just so darn busy and you're younger and you're, you're, you're just trying to stay afloat and you don't, at least I didn't a hundred percent truly appreciate it because I was just busy with so many other things. And I think as a, as a grandparent, you're able to have perspective and, uh, um, and, 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 and truly appreciate, uh, those times. And, and I guess I've, the most important part is you can hand them back over uh, to the parents when you're, when you're ready. Yes. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, I will say this, I'm balancing a lot, but I can only imagine what my parents were balancing back in the day you know, with both of them working and trying to keep up with us, you know, as, as kids. And so now my dad, he's actually in that position where he reminds me all the time, right, of perspective. Like, if he sees me, you know, working a lot and doing, you know, things to advance my business, he also challenges me. And what I appreciate is, is he says, remember those times when I used to tell you, you know, hey, I need a minute. He's like, now, you know, you kind of, you kind of get it, right? He was like, I'm here to provide you that minute, but you got the hour. I'm like, yeah, you're right. So, you know, they, they, they give you breaks, right? Um, grandparents do, but as parents, you, you really have to focus on the, the real work and you have to be intentional about it. And, um, you know, that's, that's one of the most challenging things, right? Is your time and trying to leverage it the very best you can and wanting to give your, your children the best quality time that you could possibly give them. Now, you, you grew up in Lauderdale. Are your parents yep. up, up here now? Yeah, so I'm actually um, here, right, obviously in Pilsen um, for a moment, but we just bought a house up in Simpsonville. 
So we'll be transitioning and moving up that way. My parents are still in Lauderdale. My father's retired now. Um, and my mother, semi-retired. So they travel back and forth. So sometimes it feels like, you know, this is their second home away from Fort Lauderdale from home. So, you know, we're all, we're all situated. I was just in the Keys last week for spring, my kids' spring break with the family. We flew, Mm -hmm. we flew into Lauderdale. We're supposed to fly out of Lauderdale last Friday. Oh yeah. But it was 25 inches underwater as of last Thursday. And so we had to, flight gets canceled. We had to end up, we end up driving from the Keys to St. Petersburg, which doesn't seem far when you're thinking about it, but it's a mm-hmm. freaking mm-hmm. hike, seven or eight hours with all that traffic. Just uh, Florida's a different place, man. I don't know if I would want to would want to live there with all that traffic. You took the words out of my mouth, right? Florida is a different place, um, and you know, in several in several different ways you can look at it. It's a good thing to live in Florida because it's obviously nice weather and. You know, you don't really have to worry about changing seasons as much. You know, you pretty much one thing all the time. But then what happens, like you said, when you hit that storm and you realize that Florida's a peninsula, so Florida's surrounded by nothing but water. So the first place that if it, you would predict 25 inches, like you mentioned, to basically flood the place, you think of Florida. So, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a give and take relationship when you think about it and then just thinking about the different dynamics of people, you know, from all over the place and things like that, you know, it just depends on what you're into, right? Um, and, and when you make that decision about living in a place like Florida versus visiting. So I did not realize, um, yeah. speaking of you having a lot of, uh, a lot of things on your plate, mm-hmm. until I just Googled your name, that you work for Clemson now in the College of Education a lecturer in the athletic leadership program. Wow. Yes, sir. Since last yes, sir. summer, right? Yeah, since last yep, since this past summer. Yes, sir. Congratulations. Belated congratulations. What Thank you. what does Thank that you. entail and how how did your path lead to this? Yeah, that's a great question. So two two things that took place, right? Perfect timing, met opportunity, which created a chance for me to come back. So Clemson uh, University has been expanding, you know, since COVID and, you know, hiring um, a good bit. So an opportunity opened up as to where I was able to interview with the athletic leadership program, which I graduated from with my master's and studied as well in undergrad with my minor. So, you know, obviously having those those uh, firm relationships and having the ability to come back and interview was 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 ultra amazing, right? So it's, 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 it, it, was, it was great. And I just really want to highlight and thank Dr. Godfrey um, and Miss Deborah Cataret, Jana, as well as Dr. Stakowski, because they all really took their time and helped me make sure that I was brought back in a capacity where I would be able to serve not just our student athletes, but students as well, right? As well as other faculty with my research and my interest in NIL and how it affects academic versus athletic policies. um, You know, it's something I was very passionate about. I studied in my master's program while I was here or began to before NIL was a thing, 
that was really my 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 focus. So it, it, it was again me having been preparing, you know, having been coaching, you know, prior to that at the prep school level in South Florida and at the high school level at my former high school, University of NSU, and teaching and speaking as well, you know, in between those different transitions prepared me for the opportunity so that when it came, I just walked right into it. So just very thankful for all of those that played a huge role in getting me back here. My department chair, Dr. Clark, as well as our former dean, Dean Peterson, um, you know, and others that trusted me with the opportunity to bring me back and, and to serve. So what is what exactly does that entail? Like, what is an what does a typical day look like for you going through? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Our, our our program is mainly online, so a lot of times with our students, we see them, you know, at at best a couple times a semester. So really, you know, I was challenged to come back and help create a a new culture within what I'm studying. So helping develop new <laughs> brand management. Is that your dog? <laughs> That's the neighbor's dog. And brand management, <laughs> of course. And, and, and brand management. So in, in the fall, I taught a marketing and branding class as well as the principles of coaching class at the master's level and undergraduate level. And then this spring, I'm just focused on coaching uh, principles this, this spring. So I've taught four sections in the fall, four sections this spring. And then this summer, I'll be teaching a governance and policy class surrounding around the NCAA's policy. So just getting me to experience with teaching different high-level courses um, and you know just being able to put my own twist and develop new curriculum has been my, my day-to-day grind um, in terms of getting back integrated. And now I'm going to be a PhD student in the College of Education as well. Oh, wow. This fall. So, yeah, so I will be getting my PhD in education leadership. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been a grind. I, I, I do quite a bit. I do quite a bit. Well, that's fantastic. So, your students, what what would you say the breakdown is between athletes and non-athletes? Percentage-wise, I would say, and, and I consider everyone to be an athlete. Either they're a former athlete in high school and they come to college and they just, you know, still have that passion for athletics and don't know what they quite want to do yet. So they pick a major such as what we offer in order to kind of develop what that looks like and what they want their lives to look like. So I would say, on average, about 70% or 60% of my students are current student-athletes or former student-athletes, and maybe the other 30 to 40% maybe just are you know, students that are just really interested in sports or have some type of you know, ties to sports. And you mentioned NIL, which is something you said you studied and then uh, your area is the retention and correlation between the two uh, as it relates to students and student-athletes' engagement with university policies and academic status. That's a lot to unpack. Uh, how, 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 would you, um, how would you put that into layman's terms as far as just what, what that means uh, in this new sort of world that we're in with, with the sort of NIL in its infancy? Absolutely. So in, in simplistic terms, 
right? We're all trying to understand how NIL is going to impact the future of not just college athletics, but college colleges in general, right? Because NIL is something that starts, obviously, really as early as high school years. So now you're talking about educating educators who had no idea really the impact that sports had on their schools initially, and then now you're adding in student-athletes that were once considered amateurs are now almost semi-professionals the moment they start competing. So how do you educate them on all the different things to be aware of so that it doesn't negatively impact your university? Because guess what? If student-athlete does something up under, you know, the brand of your school, that doesn't just affect them, it affects everyone. And so just looking at the first case of, let's say, NIL gone wrong publicly for the first time, right? Like University of Miami, for example, and not to put them out there in the limelight, but they had a situation where they were recruiting, um, you know, two young ladies to play basketball for them, and something was not done correctly. So guess what? It negatively impacts the university from a policy standpoint, as well as the athletic realm, right? They have to face some type of penalty. So, you know, give or take, that could have probably been avoided, but it happened. And so that sheds a huge light on, you know, it's, it's our responsibility, not just to, you know, put this on the coaches and the players, but as administrators, teachers, educators, we need to be advocates as well in this space to make sure that the line of integrity isn't crossed. You know, do to this. So, I don't know if that was uh, too too lengthy, but that's a simplified version. Of no, that's fine. It seems like y- you mentioned the 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 stories that are sort of more in the public eye. It right. leads to some probably confusion or um, misconceptions, maybe, in that you know some some people might see might assume that every every football player out there is making two, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a year, but it seems like closer to reality is you have your you know, your really high profile guys, you know, like DJ Uwe for instance, who have the corporate deals with Dr. Pepper and, and, and Bojangles, and then that also a- a- applies to other schools as well. But it seems more common that your 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 average player is probably making more like, I don't know, Twenty thousand to fifty thousand uh, dollars through the NIL arrangement with the various collectives is that is that as close to accurate as as, as you could put it in the 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 the, the football or well, the athletes that are making a lot lots and lots of money are there are kind of the of, of a small fraction uh, of the of the total. There, yes, you hit it on the head. Um, every position and every individual has their own value attached to them, you know, based on the NIL evaluation, right? So what's done is, you know, when you sign a quarterback, typically he's the face of your program, face of your team. So advertisement opportunities and things like that are going to come in abundance to him versus maybe – your backup left guard or, you know, your backup defensive tackle who might not get as much face time with the media and might not be that guy that has a huge personality or the ability to showcase his personality and who he is. So maybe he's not seen as much. So you're right. He might not make as much in the NIL space because it's a very entrepreneurial 
sales and marketing based space, right? That if you don't understand how to position yourself in the marketplace to be visible, then the lack of visibility creates a lack of opportunity for you to have the ability to monetize your social platform. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure does. What do you, I mean, this is a controversial topic. There are, uh, I don't know if it's one side and the other, but I don't know if everybody's on one side or the other. I think there's lots of people on this middle ground where they're not really sure what to make of it just yet. Um, Some people say that the amateurism model was just fine and that um, we're destroying college athletics with this move to more to, to pay for play. Um, others say they've been exploited for far too long. And when you have coaches making $10 million a year, um, that the players should receive, or the labor force, I guess you could say, should receive some of the benefits as well. Do you have a firm stance on, on this and whether it's good, whether it's not, or just whether it's sort of a, a necessary, I guess, evil that was inevitable? Here's my thing. There's a lot of gray area with this, right? And so in order to kind of search through that gray area, I think you have to ask yourselves two questions. What's important to me long-term, right? Because I think NIL goes beyond just your playing ability on the field. It goes out and carries with you into the marketplace once you're done playing. So what do I want long-term? And then what am I willing to give up short-term right now in order to reach that goal long-term. So I think when you see people look at NIL right now, and obviously I just missed the boat on NIL one year or two years short of the mark, right, once I finished playing. So obviously I didn't really get the chance to experience NIL from the standpoint of, you know, financial compensation as if, you know, it's it's been presented now. But what I will say is everyone's situation is different, Right. And everyone has a different set of morals, a different set of values that carries them through their recruiting process or just their process of being an athlete in general. And so I think it's unfair to say that, you know, their amateurism status should neglect them from being able to be compensated based on the work that they put in to get to where they are. And you don't know what their socioeconomic background or status is. So it's, it's an argument made. Well, now, you know, that messes with their focus, you know, now that they're able to do other things and, you know, it's not right. And right. So now you're, now you're going back and forth between one side of the extreme to the other. When really, I think here's the thing, as long as we keep the student athlete in mind and what they're going through and them needing, you know, compensation for their hard work. And then the coaches obviously are able to benefit and, you know, move forward in their careers and be compensated. I don't see what's wrong with that, right, personally. And so what I think is as long as things are done the correct way and no one's compromising their character or their integrity or their long-term brand and their long-term life, that they should be able to benefit from their name, image, and likeness immediately. You mentioned you just fell short of, of the NIL era and you weren't able to, to, to benefit from it. There's a, I guess a class action lawsuit that's, that's sort of in its early stages now that is seeking uh, retroactive 
pay for a certain group of athletes who were around just before. Are you a part of that? Would you be interested in being a part of that lawsuit? And what are your thoughts on it? If you have, uh, if if you're if you're informed about about that um, uh, that current sort of issue. Now that's something that obviously I haven't done a whole lot of digging into myself and gotten involved with. But that would be something that I would be interested in taking a look at a little bit more and seeing how you know it could be a benefit for me. Can you help provide some clarity again? Because this is something that you know people, fans, and and other folks don't really have a nearly as good of a grasp on as actual athletes and former athletes. How how much? How much money through various um, uh, stipends and things like that? Uh, some a, lo- a lot of athletes get Pell grants and such. Um, I mean, I mean, you, I hear anecdotally that hey, man, so, so this guy was able to make fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a year just from various. To kind of break that down and put that in context, right? The cost of a scholarship annually that covers room board, book tuition. And all those things would roughly be somewhere between a hundred to probably a hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars of services. So you're talking academics, tutoring, books, all that stuff, right? And then you're talking just the cost of tuition, um, travel, you know, clothes, food, all that's kind of factored into that cost, right? So it's kind of a fixed cost of the university is already paying set amount of dollars says student athlete to have their own individualized college experience. Now, outside of that, you have cost of attendance, and yes, you do have Pell Grant, depending on if you're eligible for it. Again, going back to what your socioeconomic status is coming into college, um, you know that that determines how much you're able to qualify in that realm. So, not everyone is able to benefit from Pell Grant, obviously, um, as some would. But everyone does benefit from cost of attendance. So cost of attendance, roughly speaking, it goes up annually. So it changes from probably the time when I was in college. So now it's probably going up another thousand, maybe fifteen hundred dollars or so, depending on you know where they are in that process now. So I would say, <clears throat> just to put that all in perspective, your numbers are pretty pretty correct right like somewhere between an additional 15 to twenty thousand dollars is added into you know just your your overall uh your overall spending budget as a a student athlete um just by being a student athlete but then again what about the student athlete that wants to work right or what about the student athlete that does want to engage in the nil space um, you know, or what have you. Then they also have the opportunity to make additional money while also getting experiences, building networks and communities of people, um, you know, to expand their thinking. So, you know, some may choose to invest their money. Some may choose not to invest and just spend it unwisely. Um, you know, that's kind of where the rubber meets the road, right, in terms of the decisions that you make with what you've you've been you know, blessed with automatically. Yeah, like I mean, you hear, you know, the the age old story of, oh, these these guys, this guy can't afford to get a pizza or do his laundry, or right. eat, and it's you know, I think some 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 
there, some digging beneath the surface needs to happen there to really arrive at what's really going on. Because I think, like you just mentioned, you could have, you know, player A who, when he gets his first check, he goes out and buys a bunch of shoes, you know, or something or blows the money. Or, or in some cases, sends the money home to mom who can't pay her rent or, so, or you know, or, or she has to eat, you know. Um, that's, that's reality too. Um, but, but in, in a lot of, in in most cases, it's not, if a kid doesn't have any money in his pocket, it's not because it's not because he's not being provided with any funds through the, through the various means that you, that you just mentioned. Right. So, you know, I've always, I, I sort of struggle I'm in the middle, uh, in, in a sense, you know, I, I, I think it's kind of indefensible at this point, given how much college athletics is making, um, that, that the, that the labor force can't, uh, benefit from those revenues. But on the other hand, I think the cynics who say that the amateurism model is, is, is completely bunk and that the academic model is bunk as well. And these athletes are going, doing nothing but uh, no-show classes and the degree doesn't mean anything. I, I, I don't believe that at all. I think the overall, the overall monetary value of an average college athlete who gets his or her degree, there is still great value in that to me because, I, I mean, I talk to – former former football players former basketball players on a regular basis and the the ones who have who got their degree years ago and that is most of them almost all of them uh they treasure that thing and how far it has taken them in life yeah i would add this right i wouldn't be where i'm at today without my education right it doesn't matter how much money you know, I would have made or have made, none of that matters, right? Like at the end of the day, this journey that I went on through academia of getting my first degree from Clemson in 2017, which is my undergrad, pushed me towards getting my master's degree. You know, when I didn't know which direction I was going to go, I was in the crossroads situation, as we all know. Um, And then propelling me back into playing football and starting my next master's degree at Boston College. And then now we're talking a couple years later, fast forward, I'm getting a PhD. I mean, the compounding interest of degrees, right? The return on investment from education, especially when it's paid for, right? You can't beat that, right? Like you can't ask for a better trade-off of the amount of time that you put in Right. Like, why wouldn't you want to finish and get your degree while you're going through this entire process that you're going through? So I I completely uh, agree with you in terms of how important it is to see the value in treasuring your education more than you treasure almost anything else throughout your college experience, because that is going to stick with you forever. Is it harder now in the NIL era? And particularly the transfer portal era, these two things are, are are happening at the same time, which makes it really complicated, and right. and you could argue detrimental as well. 
in in this era, if a player has fifty thousand dollars in his pocket or a hundred thousand dollars in his pocket or more from an NIL deal, what does that do to his or her interest in pursuing education and going to class? Because I know <laughs> when I think back to myself as an eighteen or nineteen year old, if you put a hundred thousand dollars in my bank account back then. I'm probably not going to care very much about going to English 101 <laughs> at eight o'clock in the morning, right? What what is what what are your what's your take on what just the natural effect of being sort of well off, relatively well off, thinking that you're rich and you're not actually when you're a college student and you also have that responsibility of going to, uh, you know, of, of pursuing the education? That's a great question. I think you're seeing it more and more now where decisions on where a student athlete decides to sign seems to be based off of how much initial NIL money they get. So I think on, on the, on the broad spectrum, that's not everybody's situation. So I think to kind of taper it back, everyone is going to come in you know, initially and have the same set of expectations and standards, no matter how much money they've been paid, right? Like no matter if you have $1.3 million, the expectation still is you need to go to class, follow these rules and do what you're supposed to do. And the likelihood of that not happening and that student athlete being able to get away with it, despite how much money he or she has in their bank account as a freshman or as a sophomore what have you, whatever their classification is, they need to be held accountable, right, to a standard. And so I think what you see is who's holding them accountable? Who's reinforcing that? Is it the program itself? Is it the student athlete and the program? Like, who, who is that? And so I think the, the real question is, right, like how do you engage student athletes beyond just the degree and just the classes, you have to figure out what type of lifestyle they come from and what kind of lifestyle they want to live in their future to get them to buy in to the overall big picture that you're trying to sell. Like everything is about lifestyle now, right? Like it's not about having a career path or a career choice in mind. Everyone is driven off of, um, and I wouldn't say everyone, but mostly a lot of young student athletes are driven off of trying to pursue their purpose and trying to get there faster through technology, social media, being an influencer of some sort, being, you know, put in the spotlight early. But then what about what you're learning in the classroom and how that can help you further advance even more so than the depreciating asset which is money right like money is a depreciating asset if you're sitting on it and you're doing nothing with it so i think that education is that bridge between you know while i'm trying to figure out what i want to do let me get this too you see what i'm saying so it's kind of like um it just depends on your perspective and it depends on who's holding you accountable and and the type of support that you have i feel that's going to you know either let you fall by the wayside and think that the money in your bank account is life or, you know, or is somebody going to step up and say, Hey, this isn't life, but let's try to build out what that life looks like that you want to live. I think that's the question that you have to ask in order to 
figure out who you're dealing with and what you're dealing with. What's your take on how Dabo Sweeney has incorporated the NIL part into his overall sort of programmable type uh, leadership, but also his recruiting? They've he, he and they have made it clear they don't lead with NIL. They lead with the more holistic developmental parts of hey you know we're going to we're going to be father figures for your son and this is going to be a you know the money is sort of it takes a back seat and i think it's working because they've continued recruiting very well i don't think you get a peter woods if it's all about just the money um, you right. have a, a number of, of, of athletes, uh, football players, and their parents in particular. The the Dabo message really resonates. I think that holistic part of it um, is a pretty substantial selling point of what uh, they're saying uh, to, to recruits. What do you make of it? Is that how you see it too? Um, you might know better than I do. You might be able to add to that. But just curious what you think of how Dabo has adapted his messaging and sort of his um, overall philosophies in this in this era that doesn't look a whole lot like it did just say five six years ago when he was recruiting. Yeah, just to provide some data to back that up, survey was taken in about at least two thirds to three fourths of the teams selected coming to Clemson based on just having access to Paul Journey and having access to the type of resources and you know firm values that Clemson provides you over the course of your development to get you to the finish line, right? So a lot of times when you're getting recruited, the first thing a coach now is going to lead with is is you and putting you above his team. But then when you get there, it's not about you anymore. And then you're like, wait, what happened? The flip, The script just got flipped on me. And it's like, at least Coach Sweeney is – honest enough and has the integrity to lead with saying, I'm still about all in. I'm still about we, I'm still about team because that's what built our program. It wasn't you that's going to come here and be so amazing that we're going to pay you and you're going to take Clemson to new levels that we haven't seen before. So personally, I respect the guy and a man of God that stands on, you know, who he says he is even in the midst of adversity and opposition coming and trying to form against them with NIL and make them conform to the ways of everyone else. So that's my honest take on that. What do you make of the transfer portal? The the ability to the, the one time transfer waiver where guys can just go yeah. whenever and wherever they want to. Um, my take on it is this, right? I obviously benefited in the very end of my career um, from the transfer portal being a thing. And I think it's all about how you use it, right? I think it can be a tool to help solve an issue or a problem. Um, and it can also be a gateway to open you up to a lot of disaster. Because statistically speaking, over 6,000 to 9,000 kids annually enter the transfer portal. Only about 30 to 33% actually find a new home. So what you're looking at and going back to everything we've been discussing is someone putting their academic status, their upward mobility of moving from freshman to sophomore, sophomore to junior, 
at complete risk by making a decision if they don't have a next move lined up for sure, right? And so now you're without access to your education and so on and so forth, and you're back in your hometown looking for a home when you just had one, but you decided to leave. So I think there's um, there's there's a, a devil's advocate mindset when it comes to how it can be utilized, you know, for a quick turnaround for someone and how it can also be disastrous for others. Yeah, even the ones, Richard, who who find who find a, a landing spot, it's harder. The chances of them graduating go down just because of the, you know, transferable credits and progress toward degree is different at one school than the other. And it's like, and that's not even, that's not even counting the, the shocking, almost shocking number of, of guys who can't find a home. These are overall, the, the raw numbers suggest, you know, devastating effects um, just when you look at it big picture. You agree with that? I agree with that, man. I think quantitatively or qualitatively, however you want to assess the transport portal, it can either really be a blessing or it can really be a curse. Um, And you have to make choices wisely that are not going to eliminate your education, right? Like whatever you do, please put that first, you know, whoever's listening, right? If you're, struggling with making a decision, you know, put your beliefs, put yourself first in terms of if you decide to walk away from a university, realize that you can be in jeopardy of not completing your degree properly and having to start back over and things like that. So the points you made, man, those are, those are great. If you're in the Columbia or Sumter or PD areas and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-35. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Com. All right. In addition to pushing a stroller around and being a father and uh, being a lecturer at Clemson, you also just put out a book. You're an author. Yeah. Congratulations yes, on that. The book is called The Man is Greater Than the Brand, Shedding Past yes, Brokenness to Live as Kings and Queens. 
what is the message, but also what is the story that you tell in this book, Richard? So a lot of people, they may know me as a former coastal football player or the comeback kid player at Boston College. But do you really know the man that is pushing this stroller today, right? And what it took for me to get to this point in my life. Um, and I think a lot of times you can get caught up in brands. You can get caught up in the things that people see on the outward of appearance. But there's another thing called the inward appearance, right? And the inward man, the inner man that you deal with every day and helping people to understand, right? Like that's the real NIL. That's the real way to look at it is from the inside out and how you should be shaping and cultivating yourself based on the characteristics that make up a holistic person. Um, you know, and so I think it's, it's very easy whether you're, you know, from ages 13 all the way through 26 and beyond to really comprehend the message, whether you are, you know, female or male, right. Athlete or non-athlete teacher or student administrator or parent, right. We all wear those hats and we all play in those fields at some point in our lives. And so I think this book really speaks to the journey that you're on throughout those development years, the transitions that you're going to go through, some of the pitfalls you may run into. And this book is just a warning to help push you beyond your talker zone. Tell me about the process of writing this book. How long did it take? And I'm sure there were things you learned about the book writing process that, uh, that you didn't know before. Man, Larry, you just said a mouthful. This process <laughs> took literally everything out of me. Um, for the past, I would say, six months, I've been diligently working at it with my editor, with my team. Shout out to Streamline Books. They've been amazing. Um, I did end up self-publishing. So you can imagine that process as well of, you know, making sure that you got all your ducks in a row and everything covered and, you know, just all of those little logistical pieces. But... This book has been sitting inside of me for 13 years, ever since I was in the eighth grade. Um, and I just, I didn't see my gift being writing at the time, right? My, my focus was just football, 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 and school. Um, but I never saw myself writing. But what's interesting enough, and if you get the book, you'll hear how I describe my writing over the years and how teachers have constantly told me we need to publish your work or I'm publishing your work for you. if You won't do it. And it's just like, my God, you really think I'm, I'm a writer. You think, uh, you think I can really do this? Like you really value my perspective that much that you think I'm worth publishing like ever since the eighth grade. So, um, this is my gift and I'm finally not being selfish with it anymore and sharing it with the world. You mentioned eighth grade. What happened in eighth grade? Was that when it was first noticed by a teacher or someone that you did have that gift? Yeah. So funny enough, um, and, and you, you, you read about this in the book, I had an eighth grade teacher in a collaborative group writing class that discovered my paper that did not have a name on it and asked whose paper was this and I was not present in class. And I'll leave it, I'll leave it there. And so she, she, she said, if this person would ever come to class, he'll be a best-selling author one day with just this simple writing prompt that he wrote and turned in and he's not here. And obviously there's no name on it. 
So my good friend at the time who I was working with on this particular um, assignment knew it was my paper right off the bat. And so when I heard about it, I realized that I got a gift that I won't put my name on. And now I'm finally willing to put my name on that gift. Hmm. 13 years later. That's cool. How do people find the book? So you find the book, you go on Amazon, it'll be released on Monday. Um, nice. And you type in the man is greater than the brand, or you can go to my website, richardjurgen.com, um, and jump on there and it'll direct you to the link. Um, and everything will be up and ready to go come Monday, Tuesday. That is awesome. Yes, sir. So yes, sir. I learned some things about you that I didn't know in listening to your appearance on the Grayson Mann podcast earlier this week. Grayson is a Clemson student. He's also an intern at TigerIllustrated.com and, and has helped us out a lot. Very hard worker. Also a very good interviewer. Yes, um, he is. Really enjoyed yes, that. Um, I learned that <laughs> that Amari Cooper and Duke Johnson kind of show. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God, Larry. Don't do this, Larry. Don't I got to follow this. up on that, man. As a, as a reporter, I had to learn more about the time early in your high school career when you got showed up by those two. Man, Larry, let me just tell you this, right? We talk about South Florida, and you you forget about all the athletes that come through South Florida because there's so many on an annual basis. But those two names are engraved in my mind and in my heart because they made me the player that I am. So, for instance, I was playing free safety in ninth grade, right? It's crazy. Free Mm -hmm. safety in ninth grade. I'm lined up in the slot. Nor- Miami Norland, which is Duke Johnson High School, is already a five touchdowns on us in the first round of the playoffs. And guess who has all five of those touchdowns? <laughs> he does. He had about three from running and about two from catching. This was going to be probably these – were, these were minutes where, you know, we're developing the team for next year. And so I've got my opportunity moving up from JV to varsity to, you know, line up in front of Duke Johnson for a play or two. Man, when I tell you his release off the line, I, I I thought I was I thought I was in a in a jigsaw puzzle when he got done crossing his feet because I was like, whoa, like that's elite, you know. And next thing I know, he's taking a a a, a screen on me, and he's he's going for he's going for about twenty twenty five yards, and I'm like, coach, I had no chance. Like I don't know what you want me to do. Like I I don't even know why you put me in this position. To, to, you know, what's going on right now? Like, this is, this is wild. Um, and then my sophomore year at a showcase camp, <clears throat> no one knew who Amari Cooper was yet at this point. So just to, let me just be clear, right? I didn't know, but I found out that day. And he lined up at receiver. Again, I was playing safety. I lined up, I played, I gave him no room to get inside of me. So I played inside shade on him, and I decided I was going to press him. Do you know that when I went to lunge to extend my arm out at him, he was already five yards up the field, <laughs> and it was like it was like a, it was a terrible soap opera. I went back up again, and I thought, you know what? No, he's not doing me like that. So now I'm going to play five yards off of him this time and give him some space so that I can react to him a little bit better and see his moves. Cause I, I, I promise you my eyes 
I didn't see which way he went. It was it was like another it was like another maze that I was in. And he did it to me again. He hit me with a stutter. Um, and you know, the, the the stop and go. And man, it was it was all she wrote. It was all she wrote. So it was two times in one day. And I learned that day who Amari Cooper was, and so did the world. And um, let's just say it was a long offseason for me trying to get my life together and in order. And uh, <laughs> I'm thankful for those moments. They definitely shaped me and crafted me into, you know, the All-American, All-State selection player, competing against the Dalvin Cooks of the world, the Sonny Michels of the world, and, um, you know, being able to excel because I failed early in my, in my career. Was that something that followed you in recruiting, that you were known for that, that you had to sort of chase away? No, it wasn't too bad. Um, it was one of those things where uh, luckily at the time, you know, social media wasn't what it is now. So when it happened, it was more or less if you were there, you know, and you know where, where to go look for it at. But if you weren't there, l- luckily it didn't go like completely national viral, you know. So social media wasn't that bad back then where, you know, the whole world's looking at you and going, ha ha, you got, you got, uh, you got, you got damn bad by, you know, two legends essentially. Um, yeah. so no, it wasn't, wasn't too bad. I was able, I was able to shake it after a little while. I just had to kind of go sit down for a little bit, reevaluate life and, you know, get, get into, get into discovery mode for myself. All right. I'm going to balance it out. Now yes, we get to, now we get to talk about Joe Mixon and you getting the last laugh with him. I had no idea that he uh, that in high school he sort of stood over you after yep. a hit was it? So so you know the U.S. Um, the U.S. Nike opening that that's yes. hosted every year like where they do the Elite Eleven all that stuff out in Oregon. Uh huh. So he was he was on the opposing team that we were going against. So now I've made the transition to linebacker before now going into my senior year becoming a defensive end. So this was kind of my last time really playing linebacker for sure, for sure in high school at, you know, the U S Nike camp. And he went up for a ball. It was a, I believe it was like a, it was like a, it was like a angle route. He ran right out of the backfield as a running back. So imagine running an angle route, us both going up for the ball at the same time. He gets it, right? And so then he stands over me, and then he, like, throws the ball down. And so my natural reaction wanted to go directly at him, but obviously we're on live national television. So I'm like, okay, cool. He got it. He got that rep. It was a, it was a good contested ball, and he felt good about himself. So fast forward a year, year and a half later, we see each other in college. He's running this or um, what's his name? He's running the screen. His teammate it was a, it was a screenplay, and he was coming to blindside me. I saw him out of the corner of my eye, and he caught the worst end of it. Obviously, that night in Miami. <laughs> so to me, you know, it, it's interesting. You know, he got me on his home turf out in Oregon, but I got him on my home turf in Miami. So you know, that was that was that was pretty nice. That, that was that was that was a pretty nice ending for a guy like himself. So that was that was nice. A lot of Clemson fans who are listening still remember that that hit in in Miami for sure. Um. Yes, sir. So you also mentioned something in the interview 
with Grayson. You said all through through the recovery from the from the car accident and the neck injury and all that. You went through a lot of stuff, of course. Yeah. Uh, naturally, you yeah. mentioned there was some addiction in there as well. I didn't know if you wrote about that in the book. I was just curious to learn more about that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I cover a ton in the book. For me, you know, I personally struggled back and forth with painkillers, you know, and and different substances, uh, you know, throughout my time period away from football. And it was something to me that was very, very apparent that I needed to seek help and get help for. Um, so, So I've always been one. I don't make excuses for myself. I try to find solutions, even when I'm struggling with something. And um, for me, I knew that I needed to spend some time in rehab, getting some help. And I did that. I did those things for myself. And it paid off tremendously because the moments where I felt low, the moments where I didn't know where to turn to, you know, I was thankful that I had proper resources to turn to, um, you know, to help me get, get the help that I needed. When was the rehab? Yeah, so the rehab was in Florida. I took some time away when I when I got my surgery, not just in physical rehab, but also, you know, in mental rehab and, um, you know, recovering down there while I was going through my surgery process. I feel like I'm talking to a different person than the one I talked to Oh gosh, it must have been 2018 when we met over in the Paul Journey meeting room. Just you were really soft spoken, um, you know, not standoffish or anything. But and then I guess you opened up a little more when we, I guess a good bit more when we interviewed the next time in May of 2019 before you went off to Boston College. And now you just seem like you're full of life. Um, how do you, how do you describe that uh, that sort of at least it sounds seems like a transformation to me, but maybe it's just a product of you knowing me better. I don't know. You know what, Larry? I think it's getting to a place in the space in your life where no matter what happens, you know whose you are and you know what your purpose is. And I think, to be honest with you, over the past couple of years of self-discovery, getting married, having children, all of those things naturally just change you. Right. And when you stop looking at the world from the standpoint of what is everybody else thinking about me and you put your focus in other places and you stop worrying about what everyone else is concerned with and you just focus on those in your household and the Lord and whom whom I serve and who I know where I find my identity and my peace from, you just live life a whole lot differently, man. And so I appreciate you kind of seeing that transformation in terms of who I was and, and, and acknowledging that. And, 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 and yeah, man, I appreciate, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, it, it, it's the truth as I see it at least. And I guess that's the message yeah. of the book, really sort of get out of your own way and, 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 and stop thinking about your image and all this other stuff and, and get to what's real. Right. 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 A hundred percent. What what is what is has Dabo Sweeney provided you with any guidance through this whole process? I'm sure, given that he uh, he is he loves every single one of his former players. I mean, he just he, he it's almost like he y'all are children of his. I'm curious for what 
uh, what he has meant to you through this whole process, his guidance, his wisdom, uh, his advice. Man, Coach has been great. You know, um, I, I, I was blessed with having a resource, um, you know, like him to kind of guide me through all these different transitions. You know, just thinking back when I finished up playing um, at Boston College, right, I called him. I asked him, I said, hey, Coach, you know, can I come and, you know, attend Pro Day? He said, of course. He let me come up. And that was the last day before really the world shut down. So he gave me my opportunity to finish my playing career here at Clemson with my 49 on for Pro Day. And I didn't have an opportunity to continue pursuing the NFL after that because of the nature of my injury and because of the nature of what was taking place at the time. So I really, it, it was really hard on me to have tried to make this comeback, do all these things and then pursue the NFL. And then again, it just gets snatched away kind of like my career did, you know, with my injury. And, you know, you hit those, those, those tough spots. And I was in a really, 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 really tough spot. And I remember a conversation him and I had, and I don't, I don't never really shared this with anybody. You know, I called him. I was low. I was like, Coach, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, blah, 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 blah. And first thing he said to me was, Richard, you can do anything. You can run this world. You can be a coach. You're a great father. You can do all these things. And he was like, you can do them through Christ who strengthens you. You just can't let people with dirty feet run through your mind. You have to change your perspective. You have to grow up now. And you have to be a man and take full ownership and accountability. And this was at the height of him dealing with everything that he's dealing with on his plate as far as stress and, you know, the change of, you know, rules and college football. He took the time to let me know how much he loved me and how much he cared about me. And that conversation stuck with me even throughout my transition phase of, you know, did I want to coach? Did I want to teach? Did I want to speak? How was I going to, you know, get to where I had some peace in life? You know, each step along the way, I'd text him. I'd be like, Coach, you know, I'm thinking about this. Can you help me with that? He's like, yeah, call this person. Do that. And so, you know, just having him, you know, even up until this process of writing this book, you know, have someone like John Gordon to reach out to. He tells me that I should title my book. Gives me, you know, access to his resources to help me write it. And, you know, shout out to, to him and his team. And shout out to Coach Sweeney, you know, again, for being a major contributor in my book and helping me, you know, bring my life story to life for the people, um, you know, in the past. So, you know, no, it's, it's just definitely, definitely um, a heartfelt moment for sure to share that about him. John Gordon helped you with the title of the book? Yeah, he did. He did. <laughs> he did. I was like, I was like, Hey, what should I title this? And he was like, the man is greater than the brand market. He was like, mark it down right now. Oh man. No charge. Yeah. No charge. (laughs) No, listen, listen, listen. When you, when you treat people good and when you're a good human being, sometimes the tab is already paid for you. So wow. Great. Grateful. Grateful. What were the dirty feet that were walking through your mind at the time that you, that you realized you needed to, you needed to get rid of. I'm just curious what, what that was. I'm not asking you to identify anybody, yeah. but I'm just curious what he was talking about. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, you know, as I transitioned from Boston, you know, where do you go next in the middle of the pandemic? You know, I've got my wife or 
my wife now, my fiance then, and my son. And I'm like, you know, I'm kind of out of money, right? Um, in a situation where, you know, I was training and, you know, my agent was like, hey, you know, we're going to have to kind of pull back on certain things. So I had to kind of figure out, you know, living situations and things like that. It was really tough for me, like really, 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 really tough for me. And so I said to myself, well, I need to go back home. And so I had to live with my parents um, for quite some time to get back on my feet and living with my parents and having to take my family through that journey with me in regards to me deciding that I wanted to go back and play football and I wanted to, you know, continue to try to pursue the NFL. That took a lot of time, energy, and constraint, you know, and it, it, it really took a toll on me because I started to see myself only through the image of, man, I'm a failure because I didn't make it to the next level like I intended on wanting to make it to the next level. And so I've let everybody around me down. And so I started playing the blame game and putting the pressure on everyone else as opposed to looking inward and saying, look, you've gone as far as football is going to take you. Now you've got to figure out what that next thing in life is that you want to do that's going to leave a lasting imprint on the world. And now you're starting your true legacy. Football was just your platform for you to launch off of, for you to figure out you know, which direction you wanted to go once you finished up. And man, I'm telling you, it was me, right? I was a victim of me and not looking in the mirror and taking my own advice when it was easy to give it to other people or it was easy to, you know, put on this facade like life was good, but really I was going through it. And, you know, really, I I mean, you know, just, just to be frank, didn't make all of the best decisions and it led me to a place where I had to make the hard decision of if I want to be in my family's life, if I want to continue to carry forth with the right legacy, I got to change my mindset. I got to change my circumstances and I can't let my condition and my circumstances be my conclusion. And so once I got to that place in space where, you know, I was no longer with a victim mentality and taking it out, other people that were innocent bystanders, I was able to realize that I was my own worst enemy running through my mind. And, you know, that you can't put on someone else. You have to take accountability and ownership in that. Do you remember the day or time when you did make that turn? I mean, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it took it was some per- time. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it took, it took some time, right? It took about, it took about a full year, right? So the full year of COVID through 2020 and about, I would say, June, really, honestly, June 30th, probably July 1st of 2021, where I made that full-fledged decision to turn my life over to Christ, stop dealing with all the hurt that I was dealing with internally on my own, and again, hurting other people because I wasn't healed from a situation that I decided I wanted to pursue and blaming everyone else because it didn't happen and started taking ownership in it. And, um, you know, made that decision to move back up this way. My wife and I, we took a break for a little while. And um, that was where I really discovered myself because I knew in order to get back in my family's life and my kids' life and be there for now, who, you know, we had found out along that process of transitioning 
that I was I was going to need to 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 pull from a higher source than just myself to be able to meet the needs that they that they have. June seventeenth of two thousand seventeen is when you got in the car accident in Greenville. June third. June 3rd. Oh, I'm sorry. Why did I write June seventeenth? I apologize. Yeah, no worries. How how would your life be different right now if that accident would not have happened? You know, I think about that all the time, and sometimes what I what I fail to realize is if I had not uh, gone on, um, you know, and and gotten injured, then obviously I'd be on the NFL track. Right. And hopefully, you know, still have been in the NFL right now or, you know, what have you. And I don't know if I'd be the same person that I was today because I wouldn't appreciate the life that I have now because I I take it for granted. I wouldn't be able to showcase as much gratitude. I wouldn't be able to love the way that I do. I would not be the person that I am if I had not gone through what I went through. And I know that to be for certain, because when you look at most athletes, you know, they have everyone at their every beck and call, right? But when you're no longer an athlete and when you're only serving what you're doing, right, and no one else is able to benefit from it, you don't have a whole lot of supporters. You don't have a whole lot of fans cheering you on. And so I think along that journey of being alone and in solitude, I was able to form the most resilient form of myself. If that makes sense. Yeah, seems like I mean I'm I'm not a I'm not a professional psychiatrist, but it seems like you're in a in a in a better place than you would have been. Right. Richard, that's all I have. Is there anything else you'd like to share or promote or anything like that? The floor is yours. I just would like to say thank you, Larry, for having me on. This was a heartfelt moment, heartfelt conversation. This wasn't cookie cutter. I appreciate you for unpeeling and rolling back the layers, taking time with me today um, and helping me establish my presence back in, you know, the area by being on your podcast. And man, just, just thank you for your time, man. Thank you. And, you know, to everyone, yeah, to everyone listening, thank you all. Um, You know, I know this is um, a very long podcast, so hopefully, you're able to get through the vast majority of it. But I think I think the reason why it was lengthy is because you're dealing with two quality individuals that just want to bring the most value to you. So you can find me at uh, Instagram, Twitter, even on Facebook, my first and last name, or Coach Yerg or Coach Yergen. Um, and my email, bookings at richardyergen.com. If you're a teacher, administrator, um, you know, you're looking for someone to come in and provide you with a with a punch, with my book, with me speaking, or anything of that nature to your students and to your staff. Um, you know, I would love to provide you all with any value that I possibly could. And thank you. Are you still pushing the stroller? And if so, have you reached the cardio zone yet? This must be quite the workout if you're still walking. I am still, I'm still walking. <laughs> and you know what? I have gotten, the whole time we've been talking, I've tracked my steps and my miles, and I I have closed all of my rings, everybody. I've closed all of my rings. Every single ring, I've closed it during this podcast because I was getting better, and I was working out, and I was giving you all motivation today. 
Those, so there you go. Those calves are going to be huge, man. If you ever want another workout, just just we can have you on it for another podcast. <laughs> come on, come on, come on. You 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 have me on working out, and I'm I'm getting the podcast in at the same time. Come on, man. Come on, come on, come on. Thanks so come much, on. Richard. Yes, sir. Thank you, Larry. I appreciate it. All right. Felt like we we got to got to meet Richard's youngest daughter. We got to meet uh, his neighbor's dog. <laughs> The birds, uh, the cars going by. Anyway, it was an adventure, and I kind of actually like it that that he was being a family man, being a dad while he was also doing this podcast. Really appreciate his time that he gave to us. Also, of course, appreciate the support of our sponsors for being a part of this for so long. And then, last but definitely not least, every single one of you for hitting that play button. Thank you so much. Cheers. <laughs>